Good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning. As Kim said, my name is Kristen Orn. I'm the director of youth here. And it is my joy to be back from maternity leave. I, yes. Um, it was wonderful to hang out with my family and my newborn son, uh, Paul Matthew. So he is well and healthy, um, but it is good to be here. Last night I got to hang out with high school girls until late, talking through the Bible. I mean, what better way to prepare for an early Sunday morning than hang out with some high school ladies? So it was good. We are currently in a sermon series called He Sees Me, Truly Known and Fully Loved. Pastor Drew kicked this off by talking about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist leapt when he encountered Jesus in his mother's womb. Last week, Pastor Mike preached a sermon on Jairus and his faith in asking for the healing of his daughter. This week, we are looking at Matthew. Now, who knew that I would name my son Matthew for his middle name except God because we did not have that planned, and yet the Lord was stirring in me to look at the life of Matthew long before he was born. So here we are. We're going to dig into Matthew. So how many of you have heard of Matthew? Yeah, I know. It's kind of common, right? So let's see what we can unpack here, right? He was one of the 12 apostles called by Jesus He was one of the few that we read his call story. But what was his background? And how was he transformed? How did that moment when he met Jesus change his life forever that we all know about him today? So I'm going to encourage you right now, get out your notebooks. If you don't have one, find one for next week. Back to school supplies are going on sale soon. We're going to be filling backpacks even soon in this congregation. So find a notebook, bring it, bring a pen to write your notes. If you're going to use your phone, great. Start to categorize them even so that you can go back through because transformation doesn't just happen on Sunday, does it? It's a week-long process. And so what better way than to review your notes? In fact, the teens this morning are getting their own journals so that they can start taking notes. So I encourage you all to do the same. All right. This morning, we're going to look at three points. We're going to look at how Matthew connected, number one, to Jesus. Okay? We're going to look at how Matthew connected to the kingdom. And we're going to look at how Matthew connected to the vision. And I hope that you see how you connect to Jesus, how you connect to the kingdom, and how you connect to the vision. So we're gonna be in the book of Matthew. Good job, good job. You guys, maybe one of you wanna preach my sermon for me. All right, we're gonna be in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter nine. So as you grab your Red Pew Bible, remember those are a gift. If you do not have a Bible, please take it home with you, read it. Um, You can read the book of Matthew all week. You can read his whole story with Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for the opportunity to read your word and to be transformed just as Matthew was. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you this morning. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. The reading of God's word from the book of Matthew. Starting with verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. God. Follow me. Follow me. Those are the words that Jesus spoke to Matthew. Those are the words that Matthew heard that changed his entire life. It was those words that we get the book of Matthew. Jesus spoke with authority. He had just calmed the storm. He had just given forgiveness, which was unheard of in that day, to grant forgiveness for sins. And yet, here he was calling a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated in those times. They would set up their booths And so you could not get around them. You had to go past them. And guess what they wanted? Money. And they wanted the money for Rome. So Jewish, the Jewish community really had a disdain for tax collectors, right? And yet, here they are, lined up, and Jesus points out Matthew and says, follow me. And what did Matthew do? He got up left everything and followed him for two words. Must have been pretty two convincing words, right? Transformation sometimes can be in a moment and sometimes it can be over a length of time. Henry Nouwen has a quote that says, indeed, living a spiritual life requires a change of heart, a conversion. Such a conversion may be marked by a sudden inner change or it can take place through a long, quiet process of transformation. For Matthew, that moment was sudden, right? He left all that he had and followed Jesus. It was two words. You can think about your own journey with the Lord. What were those words that Jesus said to you? Maybe you haven't heard those words. And if not, those words are for you. Follow me. Jesus is inviting you. Now these words are interesting because earlier we see that he called four disciples and he said, follow me for I will make you fishers of men. They were fishermen. Fishermen weren't really the highest of society back then. Right? They were working. They worked long, hard days. But nobody had a dislike for them. But tax collectors... Ew. Let's put it in today's perspective. Have you ever heard of a company called, let's see, the IRS? Yeah, how many of you have pleasant 
positive emotions towards the IRS. Yeah, not most of us, right? Yes, we should pay our taxes. Please don't hear me saying we should not pay our taxes, but it's not necessarily most pleasant. Well, I have a little story for you. Due to complicated health issues surrounding one of my pregnancies, we ended up getting a temporary transfer from Washington, D.C. to Western Pennsylvania. My husband had been working for corporate statistics of income, doing corporate tax statistics. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Um, basically looking at lots of tax returns, big numbers, all the corporations. So he worked for the IRS. And he published, he worked on their data. So during this time, we got a leave to go to Western Pennsylvania. And in this, he got to work in a little local office with the guys who come knocking on your door. You don't pay your taxes, these are the guys that go knock, 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 pay up. So he's in an office with all these guys. Can you imagine their hearts? They're hardened. They are doing the grunt work of what the people are doing in D.C. in um, crunching all the numbers and finding out who owes them tax money. It is long, grueling. And some of the guys, these guys were doing it for years. There was no joy in that life. There was nothing that made them want to do it except they knew they had to pay their bills and that it was their job, it was their livelihood. Makes me kind of think of what Matthew felt. It was his job, it was his livelihood. But the willingness to get up, right, and go follow Jesus must have meant that it was pretty empty. And for these guys, it was pretty empty. Well, if you know my husband, you know that he often brings a lighthearted joy with him wherever he goes. And so he walks into this office doing a totally different job. And so he ended up being the hands and feet of Jesus in the way he brought joy and light into this dark office. And it was not only visibly dark, it was emotionally dark. And for nine months, he sat there next to specifically one man. And each day, that guy would ask him questions, and Andrew would just share Jesus with him. Sometimes it wasn't even saying the name of Jesus. Sometimes it was literally just his presence. And you saw, over that nine-month time, a transformation. And that office felt a whole lot different from the first time we walked in there to the last time we walked in there. That my friends, is us connecting to Jesus and living out our day-to-day -day lives, being the church at work. So we see the transformation in this guy. We see the transformation in Matthew, but where does that connect to the kingdom, the kingdom of God? So if we look back at our text at verse 10, we see the word and, and actually in the Greek, it's often translated now in other versions. It means pay attention. 
guess what? We're in for a treat, aren't we? So we turn our attention to the feast, to the eating. And in Matthew, it's uncertain whether we're at Matthew's house or Jesus's house. But in Mark and Luke, which are the synoptic gospels, we see this story and we see the same calling of a guy named Levi. So many scholars believe that Levi and Matthew are the same. And so it reads in Luke that Levi prepared a great banquet at his house for tax collectors and sinners. So for, we're going to believe that this house, that Matthew has opened up his house for his friends, the tax collectors, and the sinners. So we know that how tax collectors were thought of, right? Not well liked. Well... If you're pairing tax collectors and sinners, what do you think? Do you think the sinners were well-liked? Probably not, right? Society did not view them highly. There's an impression of them not being worthy, that they didn't meet the standard, usually by not observing the scribal rules of tithing and purity, kind of why the Pharisees didn't like them. But Jesus came and he saw each of these people. He sat with them. He dined with them. And eating together is some of the most sacred moments we can have with people, aren't they? I think that's why COVID was so tough. It was hard to eat with people. In a culture meant to identify with those, the religious leaders like Jesus, to be sitting among the least of these, it was scandalous. And then to be in the home of a tax collector. It's like going to the home of the IRS agent. None of you are asking to go to that meal today, are you? Friends, we should be on the edge of our seat anticipating what Jesus is going to do in this moment because it's going to be big. He's going to flip something upside down. And so the Pharisees ask the question, and instead of the disciples answering, Jesus answers. I think Jesus did that often, actually, to save the disciples from bumbling around with their answer, like, oh, I don't know why we're here. I don't know. Like, I'm just with this guy, and he's doing some crazy things. So so Jesus answers, and he says, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. The kingdom of God didn't enter this world like they thought. There was no conquering king. He didn't overtake Rome. Instead, the kingdom of God came in the form of a baby, an infant, a child, who lived, grew up, and walked among the people. Dallas Willard writes a book called Renovation of the Heart. And then it says, even in a ruined condition, a human being is regarded by God is something immensely worth saving. Sin does not make us worthless. It just makes us lost. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I could have been at that meal. We're all sinners in need of a savior. I need Jesus. And I need Jesus to remind me of how to live out his kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. By loving other people, by being faithful where I'm called to be. I'm called to be a wife. I'm called to be a mother. 
I'm called to lead these youth and to be faithful in that. Where are you called to be faithful? Where are you living out your kingdom purpose? How are you loving the people? Are you inviting the tax collectors and sinners to your house? I think of this call for Jesus being at this meal as being on the front lines. He didn't hide away. He didn't shy away from this. Instead, he walked into that space, and he knew people weren't going to like it. And yet he was faithful. Do you remember what it was like in the beginning of COVID where we had doctors and chaplains sleeping in their offices at the hospital, finding random closets so that they could care for those who had COVID. We praised those people. And that's what Jesus did. He came to the front lines. He came to earth to meet us where we're at. And he met Matthew where he was at. For our family, we probably should have never been in Western Pennsylvania except because of pain and loss, it led us there. And so we brought the kingdom of God to a small IRS office. What about you? Where are you bringing the kingdom of God? Once we're connected to the kingdom of God, then we need to connect to the vision, point three. Matthew... Live that out. So in verse 13, we see, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. This comes from the book of Hosea, 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus would rather us know who he is and live out a relationship with him than to sacrifice, than to bring our burnt offerings like they did. Jesus came to be the ultimate offering, the ultimate sacrifice, so that we don't have to carry animals and, and bring forth that. Can you imagine if we were, had an altar up here? and we were all bringing our animals, what a different day. And instead, Jesus paid it on that cross. God desires us to live out mercy towards others. This is where action comes in. The vision calls us to act, doesn't it? We kind of just don't walk through life doing nothing, right? We have a vision, something that carries us forward, and it's out of that vision that we go. So for Matthew, he dropped everything. He was resurrected, just like we were singing about. He was resurrected by the love of Jesus to go out. We are resurrected. We get to go out. Matthew wrote the gospel, didn't he? In it, we find the lineage of Jesus. We find the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. And we often quote the Great Commission in Matthew 28. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? Go. Matthew knew his vision, his calling. And it's impacting us still 2,000 years later. So we are sitting right now in Bel Air Church, right? We are, we are the people, we are the church, but we're also sitting in a building that we have named. And we have a vision to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. That is our vision. To live out, to follow Jesus wherever we go, impacting the people around us everywhere that we go whether it's in our home, in our neighborhoods, in the grocery store, at work, wherever we are. How do we live out this vision? How do we connect to it? Well, before my time, although I get to see some of the fruit of it, you guys ran a vision campaign. And this week we've had new flooring laid in our bottom office space because of that. There's so many ways that this vision campaign has blessed this campus. We also have six strategic priorities. And I bet when I name them, you'll recognize them. To be the church at work. To equip everyone to be the church at work. To create transformational worship services. To welcome more people into community. To be your home. And sometimes it's a home away from home, as we're called here sometimes as transplanters. To develop and lead vibrant kids and youth ministries. That's a big calling. Hmm. Good thing I rely on Jesus for that one. Leverage our beautiful physical campus. We can all agree it's a beautiful campus to draw people to God. How can you not see God when you stand out there and look? And then to deliver excellent financial stewardship to successfully equip Beller's campus ministries and functions to bring God's kingdom on earth. We want to be excellent financial stewards. Beller's vision is to use the resources and blessings we have to further God's kingdom. We all have resources, and for some of us, it's financial, for some of it's spiritual. For some of it's what we use with our time. We have lots of time resource. Henry Nouwen tells a story in um, the spirituality of uh, fundraising. And he tells a story about how he was just sitting and a banker comes over to him and says, hey, I'd really like to get coffee with you. And he's like, okay. So they sit down and and he's like, I know that writing books is expensive. And your words impact a lot of people. I want to financially support you so that you can sit and write more books. If you haven't read a Henry Nouwen book, I'd encourage you to. There's some deep, deep spiritual words there. Henry Nouwen was gifted that by a financial resource for all of us to be able to be blessed with. 
So we need the financial and the spiritually to activate and to participate in God's work on earth. Tax collectors, they used fear, didn't they? They used control. They lined up their booths in the ancient days so that you had to walk past them. The IRS, they make you submit your taxes every year so they can check them. There are people actually checking them to make sure you did it right. But for us, we are children of the Most High God. We are children. And my God, he owns cattle on a thousand hillsides. Can you imagine that? He owns it all. And my God supplies our every need. And he uses us to come together to be the hands and feet. So we don't have to use fear. We don't have to use control. We have to be faithful. As Matthew connected to God's vision by his transformed life and living out his call by writing the gospel, so we must connect to God's vision here and be children living out our call to bring the kingdom of earth kingdom of heaven to earth here in LA and beyond so let's not forget the last verse though for I have come not to call the righteous but the sinners we're all sinners aren't we in need of a savior that's why Jesus came to recognize our need And you know what? How many of you go to the doctor when you're not sick? Not most of us, right? Some of us do our well well visits every year. We don't tend to go see a therapist unless there's issues. But if we can recognize our sin, then Jesus can meet us. He can meet us in those places. I need Jesus. I am no more perfect than any of you. I need Jesus in my everyday. And so while our call to Jesus may just be a moment for Matthew's two words, what were they? Follow me. There's a long journey ahead, isn't there? Hebrews tells us, for we are to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Dallas Willard puts it this way, Jesus sent on his disciples on a perpetual world revolution, one that is still in the process. Friends, you are part of that revolution and will continue until God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray.